Hello from the California Lawyers Association Annual Meeting 2018 in San Diego, California. I'm Phil Horowitz. I'm Sharon Furutan. And Tamara Fries. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. And we're back. Thank you so much for joining us on On the Road. It's a pleasure to be here. Today, we're talking about how corporate clients can avoid employment lawsuits. So, Sharon, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name is Sharon, and I'm an employment defense attorney at the law firm of Colin Jensen in Newport Beach. I've been practicing law for about 10 years, and I do exclusively employment litigation advice and counsel as well. And Tamara, can you tell us about yourself? Yes, and I am a plaintiff's employment attorney in Orange County, California. I am the managing partner of Workplace Justice Advocates, and I handle cases of wrongful termination, harassment, whistleblower, and of of that sort. Okay. And Sharon, can you tell us what this presentation was all about? Sure, yeah. We just thought it would be fun to pick sort of a top 10 David Letterman-style list of uh, things that companies really should be on the lookout for to avoid employment lawsuits, and really just more practical tips for each of those points from each perspective, plaintiffs and defense. All right. Well, Tamara, could you share one of the top 10 uh, tips with our listeners? Absolutely, Phil. One of the tips that we gave was unemployment benefits, how it is a bad idea for employers to dispute or uh, take away employees' unemployment benefits after they fire a bad employee. Let's say you have a bad apple who was insubordinate, didn't perform very well, you fire that person, and on top of that, you are trying to take away his unemployment benefits. It's a really bad idea, Phil, for two reasons. Number one, it gives the employee emotionally invested in the lawsuit. The employee now feels justified to call the attorney and to uh, get some monetary compensation for what just happened. And on top of that, for practical reasons, it's a bad idea from an evidentiary point of view because the unemployment benefit usually results in unemployment appeal hearings where the employer can provide damaging evidence without attorney present. And as a plaintiff's attorney, I can use that evidence in trial to impeach the, uh, the employer. So let's say that you terminated somebody and the employee goes home, they feel bad about the termination, and they go online and they read something about at-will employment. Now they're thinking, how do I support myself? I have no paycheck. And they get a notice in the, in the mail that their employment benefits are denied. Imagine how that person feels. The person feels that he has no choice. And every time you give employee no choice but to call an attorney is a bad idea, Phil. It's vindictive, it's counterproductive, and it will backfire at the employer. Okay. Uh, well, thank you very much, Tamara. Uh, Sharon, can you get, tell us, uh, our listeners, uh, another one of the top 10 uh, tips? Sure. Yeah. So one of the things that's really important to keep in mind is don't keep problem employees for too long and without documenting performance problems. Basically, terminations over performance problems are really the bread and butter of every FIHA claim, uh, Fair Employment and Housing Act discrimination claim. So what happens in litigation is the employee will have to just meet a minimal burden to make a prima facie case to show discrimination. And they'll basically say, you know, I made these protected complaints and I was treated differently. And then after that, I was written up and counseled out. Well, 
In litigation, the burden shifts back to the employer to prove that the adverse employment action was taken because of a legitimate non-discriminatory reason. And so whatever the reason is, opposing counsel will then pick away at that reason and say, well, why didn't you investigate the situation if you thought, for example, the employee was stealing from you? Did you just assume? Why did you believe every everyone else and not him? Did you make any sort of credibility determination? You know, did you... You said he violated the dress code. Did you enforce the dress code policy with anyone else? And so all these questions will start coming out in litigation. And inevitably, when I get these types of cases, the employer does say, look, these issues were happening for a while. It wasn't like a one-time thing, and then we fired them. And then I ask, okay, well, where is there any documentation of that? And they, you know, a lot of times they say no. And I think the reason is just practically speaking, when you're in a company, you're trying to work with people. You're not necessarily trying to write them up and, you know, get them to be in a bad mood and, and be upset. But even a verbal coaching, you know, even you can make it positive, just document that it occurred. That alone, I think, can be very compelling evidence that prior to, you know, whatever it was, the protected activity, that there was the, there were these performance issues. We're not making it up. So that's a big takeaway, I think, for companies. Sharon, can you give us another one of the top 10 uh, tips uh, that you uh, presented? Sure. Yeah. Another thing I think that's really important for companies to keep in mind is to properly handle requests for accommodation. And I think one thing that's important to know is you don't need to really wait for any formal request, quote unquote. And it's really important to train management to loop in HR right away. One of the things I always think would be great to have in litigation that I don't always see is a document of the need for the accommodation and sort of documentation regarding what we call in our practice the interactive process, which is basically the communication between the employer and the employee regarding the request for accommodation and and basically the process by which a reasonable accommodation is decided upon and agreed upon by both the employer and the employee. One thing to keep in mind, too, is the employer is not obligated to just, um, you know, do whatever accommodation that the employee requests. It has to be reasonable, and they sort of both have to agree. And so one thing that comes up in litigation is you have someone that, for, for example, you hand doctor's notes to your supervisor, months go by, and then eventually somehow HR is involved because now there's some sort of complaint or something. And HR is like, wait, this person is, is getting accommodated? Where's the ADA documentation? Where's the FIHA accommodate, accommodation documentation? And there is none. So then they start creating documents later. Well, that sort of begs the question, well, were you doing it before? What happened uh, before? And so a lot of times um, it's important to have that kind of documentation. And a couple other quick points you don't need to require, you're not allowed to require leave as like a first resort option. You can't just put people on leave because they need uh, accommodation at work. You know, people want to be paid. They want to keep working. They just meet, maybe need a little adjustments to their workplace. And another thing to keep in mind is you shouldn't cap the time off based on just the statutory time frame. You do have an obligation to continue to accommodate after, for example, the expiration of like a 12-week leave of absence or something like that under statute. Tomorrow, could you share another tip with our listeners? I think this is important and critical for employers to get the trial attorney evaluate their case early in litigation. 
this is the reason plaintiffs get big verdicts, because no trial attorney properly evaluated what's important for trial, what's important for the jury. How was this, how is the story going to play out in context of the trial? Typically, Phil, what happens when we file a case, we get a defense attorney on the other side, litigate it and defend it, take it to summary judgment, get involved in discovery. But these are not trial attorneys, Phil. These are very experienced litigators, and sometimes they're partners at big firms, but they never tried a case. So they don't have the perspective of a trial attorney. They don't have a perspective of what's more important for the jury. And many times, I'm the trial attorney myself, I find out that I would rather take a case that has maybe not very strong facts on liability, but has very strong emotional appeal, and the client who is very charismatic for the jury the jury going to like them. I would rather take that kind of a case than a case that is very strong on the law. There is a clear violation, but then our client is very difficult, not likable, has an attitude. That, which brings me to the point that it is very important for both sides, plaintiff or defense, have a focus group early in litigation to evaluate attitude and how the witnesses come across. How does the, uh, the client come across? How does the HR manager come across? What's the attitude? It's very important to have the focus group early because then you can evaluate the component of emotional appeal of the case to the jury and focus less on the legal points. When you have a trial attorney involved, it's very important to evaluate the demeanor. And this is how you get the verdicts, Phil, because when you only focus throughout the litigation on the legal perspective and you, you can't defeat the case in summary judgment or early on, and now it goes to trial, it's very difficult to settle that case at that point just based uh, on plaintiff's charisma because people are too far apart. It's polarized. Um, the plaintiffs and defense are polarized before trial. But once the trial attorneys get involved in the defense for the employer, it usually is too late. They have to deal with what's been done in the litigation and they have to deal with the client, with the plaintiff, who is charismatic and likable to the jury. And that's not something that the employer can control. So I would really advise the employers uh, to get the trial attorneys get involved early, get the focus group evaluation of their clients. For example, in the last case, we had a $25 million verdict and nobody on the defense team could see it. And that was because our client was very likable. Uh, on the law. We also won on the law and liability. But once our client took the stand, that was it. It was definitely love at first sight with the jury. We got anonymous 12-0 verdict because everything he said, we could tell that the jury just loved him. In contrast, the defense witnesses were not likable. They had attitude. They appeared coached and very distant. And that's how we get to big verdicts, Phil. All right. Well, if you missed this continuing legal education program, it will be available online by November 2018. Visit us at the, the California Lawyers Association website at calawyers.com. Again, that's calawyers.com. Sharon, if our listeners want to get a hold of you, where can they reach you? You can feel free to find me at Colin Jensen in Newport Beach, and our firm information is www.call jensen.com c-a-l-l-j-e-n-s-e-n.com our office number is 949-717-3000 and Tamara if our listeners wanted to reach you for more information how would they go about doing that 
We're located in Orange County and Beverly Hills, California. Our firm name is Workplace Justice Advocates, and the website is www.workplacejustice.com. You can also call our office line, 949-378-9794. Well, we've reached the end of the road for today's episode. I want to thank our guests for joining us today. We also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.